Once you can see that your 60s are your most productive decade, your early 50s become a time when you're saying, you know what, what do I need in place so when I'm 60 years old, I've got the base set to have the most significant difference for God I've had in my lifetime. Today on First Person, our guest is executive mentor Bob Beal of Master Planning Group International. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I'll introduce you to Bob in just a moment. First, let me say thanks for tuning in today. First Person is designed to tell stories of people who've been redeemed by Christ and then called by Him into a life of service. Each story is unique as we meet people from all walks of life who are motivated by the Lord to use their gifts and talents as an act of obedience and worship. If you'd like to know more about First Person and the many guests we've talked with, please visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. You can listen to past interviews and see the schedule of what's ahead. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Well, whether it's helping nonprofit ministries or for-profit companies, Bob Beal has helped thousands of leaders by providing practical biblical wisdom through one-on-one executive mentoring, writing, and speaking. He's president and founder of Master Planning Group International. I've read Bob Beale's books through the years and wanted to talk to him about his life's calling. Bob told me his story on the phone. I grew up in a small village of 800 people in northern Michigan called Mansalona. It's about 40 miles east of Traverse City. Uh, I grew up with four Bible-believing grandparents, two Bible-believing parents, and in a very conservative holiness tradition church called the Missionary Church. That was back in the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. I had a grandfather who was a shoe cobbler, second grade education, learned to read by reading the Bible, and occasionally would have the opportunity to uh, fill in the pulpit in this small church on a Sunday evening when there probably would be a high of 20 to 30 people attending. And Grandpa Donaldson would get up and he would start to preach as best he knew how. And he would start preaching on some subject that he thought was he had prepared on. And inevitably, he would stop sort of five minutes into it, whatever the subject. And he'd say, loved ones of mine, I'd hope to talk to you about this. But as I look at you, I can't talk to you about this. I have to warn you that hell is real, that heaven is real. The good news is that heaven is real. The bad news is hell is. I can't talk to you about what I'd hope to talk to you about. I love you too much. I have to talk to you about heaven and about hell. When I was about nine years old, uh, that really spoke to me. And I committed my life to Christ at that point. Now that went through some bumpy patches when I was early teens. I ended up at Bethel College in Mishawaka, Indiana, uh, not knowing, not having a clue really what I was going to do. But in one of the revival services, recommitted my life to Christ at that point. Married a girl named Cheryl Kimball, who was a committed believer. We ended up going to Michigan State uh, for, after three years at Bethel, I went to Michigan State for my bachelor's and master's. There I met a man named Bill Bullard. He was uh, a committed believer who was 
his job was to help foster leadership in a seven-state area. He was connected to the presidential prayer breakfast. One day we had breakfast, and Bill said to me, Bill asked me, he said, Bob, what do you want to do in life? I said, Bill, I don't have a clue. He said, well, think about it for a minute. What, what would you like to do? And I said, I don't know, just influence people, I guess. And he said, do you realize that at any one point in history, there are 10 people that if you influence them, you influence everyone who looks to them for leadership? I said, really, who is it? He said, well, it depends on what time it is. He said, if you will influence the president of these nations or the president of these corporations, the president of this, this or this, he said, those 10 people influence everyone else in the world. Well, that, that made perfect sense to me. And he said, at that point, committed to uh, working with leaders some way. Then, uh, knowing my Christian faith and the reality that heaven and hell are real, I narrowed that to Christian leadership, to strengthening Christian leadership, not to intimidate Christian leadership, not to teach leadership, not to mm, counsel leadership, but to strengthen them any possible way I could. Then a couple of years later, well, I ended up at World Vision, designed and developed a level of program, ended up, uh, uh, to shorten the story, consulting. With uh, Evangelism Explosion was my first client, uh, R.C. Sproul, Ligonier was my second, Jim Dobson was my third, and on and on. And what I there was a conversation I had with a man named Stu Bamig, who is a, a pastor today. And Stu basically said, Bob, there's a Latin phrase which means the written word remains. The written word remains. And, he, and I thought to myself, you know, I can teach a lot of things, but... A day later, it's misinterpreted, misconstrued, mis misquoted, really. A day later, let alone 50 years later, 100 years later. That was when I committed to, to write. And so then I had a combination of consulting and writing. Then I went, some of my clients at that time were Bill Bright and Jim Dobson and Josh McDowell and those kind of leaders, Jim, uh, uh, Jim Dobson. And uh, I was on the board at Focus on the Family at that point. And I went to a weekend at Campus Crusade, and Paul Eshelman or someone was speaking. And I uh, came home and talked to my wife. And I said, Cheryl, I need some time. I just need some time to process, because instead of consulting or writing, I think I should just go join one of them. What they're doing is so significant. I said, I know that isn't right, but I don't know why. I thought, I've got to wrestle with this thing. So all weekend, she was at a women's retreat, so I spent all weekend praying and wrestling with it. And I concluded that my role was not to be them, but was to strengthen them. Just like I had gone, I went full circle back to, my role is not to be Jim Dobson or Bill Bright or Josh McDowell or Adrian Rogers or any of the people I've worked with. My role is to strengthen those leaders. So whenever anyone has asked me since then, how can I pray for you? I say, pray that I'll have wisdom to help these leaders make wise decisions, choose good people, focus their thinking for the future, manage their money wisely, and basically be all God would have them to be so that as many people as possible through their ministries 
would choose heaven and go to heaven instead of to hell. The picture I have, Bob, is Aaron holding up Moses' arms. That's one of the more biblical um, illustrations of what I identify with of all. Hmm. I'm not a Paul. I'm not a uh, uh, James. I'm, I'm, I'm just maybe a Barnabas, but I'm not a I'm not a evangelist. Really, I'm not a, a discipler. Uh, I'm more of a person who just comes alongside someone, and I call it executive mentoring. Uh, it's like I see staying with a few leaders for a lifetime and helping them be every single thing God intended them to be, to make them as strong as I can possibly help them be. And you draw this wisdom from the Word. That's another amazing part of what you do. You, It's there, isn't it? it? It's available to us. It isn't that I quote Scripture every day to every client. That's not what I do. Uh, actually, typically, my clients know far more Scripture than I do. There's a concept that came to a long ago called gray zone. There are certain things that Scripture chooses not to address. And someone in the audience will say, oh, Bob, that's not true. Scripture addresses everything. I say, well, no, it is true. There are certain gray zones that Scripture does not address. Well, oh, yes, it does. It addresses, at least in principle. I say, no, it really doesn't. They say, it does. You're becoming heretical or something. I say, well, okay, let's look at this. Should you buy a Ford or a Chevy? <laughs> when you go down to buy a car, should you buy a Ford or a Chevy? <laughs> what scriptural principle applies there? They said, well, uh, uh, that, now you're being ridiculous. I said, no. You said everything has a scriptural principle tied to it. Frankly, Wayne, where I have focused my attention is not on becoming a biblical scholar. Like I say, many of my clients have, like Adrian Rogers, he spent a whole life studying the scripture and presenting it, like Josh McDowell, who can quote passages on end, like, you know, just a wide variety of people that I've consulted with have a mastery of scripture that I would admire and maybe even envy if it were not wrong to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's like they have tremendous, tremendous mastery of scripture. But when it comes to sorting out direction for their organization in terms of should we buy a Ford or Chevy, choosing people, should I choose this person or that person, uh, and why, and then how do we set up our finances, uh, not just be a good steward, but how do we, what accounts do we put them in, how do we organize uh, to track things? Uh, those are the gray zones that I spent my I spent my life trying to bring profound simplicity to helping Christian leaders who are far more mature, far more uh, godly than I'll ever hope to be, far more uh, scripturally based than I'll ever hope to be. But it's bringing clarity into the gray zones so that the men of God and women of God can bolt ahead, can blast ahead without ever being confused by decisions that are Ford and Chevy kind of decisions. In just a moment, we'll continue our conversation with Bob Beal, the author of Leading with Confidence, here on First Person. Next week, you'll meet a family who was nearly killed by a drunk driver. God was truly our lifeline through this accident. On those hard days when we didn't know what was happening next, you know, when the doctors would give a prognosis, 
The Lord is truly what sustained us. The four members of the Barrick family all survived life-threatening injuries and give God the glory for their recovery. You'll meet them next time on First Person. My guest today on First Person is Bob Beal. Bob is the founder of Master Planning Group International and has consulted personally with over, I don't know, Bob, it has to be thousands of clients now through the years that you've... It's actually, yeah, it's actually about 500 organizations, but I spent one-to-one time sort of behind the defense system, behind closed doors, about 5,000 executives. Yeah. Generally, where are we today in terms of leadership? Are, are leaders doing a better job today? I mean, you've had several decades of looking at this. Are we getting better at it or... Are the challenges, uh, you know, challenges like distractions and the pace of life interfering? Man, if I had an answer to that, <laughs> uh, the reality is that, that some of my clients are stronger today than they've ever been. Uh, some of the realities are that the young leaders coming up, just are, I just stand in awe of them. Uh, the other reality is that there are so more, many more people to lead. I think the need for leadership is greater than it's ever been in history uh, because we've got billions of people on the planet uh, needing leadership. And the uh, the massive uh, onslaught of enemy influence is just overwhelming. The whole, you know, just the, the, the struggles we have here in America, particularly uh, in worldwide in reality, uh, things of abortion and and uh, you know homosexuality and and drugs and the various things that young people face today are just overwhelming. Mm. It's I find leaders today uh, trying to keep uh, focused on the future, keep uh, climbing the hill, keep keep uh, faith in the battle, but it is it is tough. It is, absolute, it is absolutely and actually tough to be a leader today. By the way, one of the things that's been fascinating to me and a few people over the years is that a lot of people assume everyone would like to be a leader. Everyone should be a leader. Everyone would like to be if they could be. You know what? That's wrong. Most people don't want to lead anything, anywhere, at any time. My experience is that about 2% of people want to lead. They want to be president or leader, uh, maybe at a different level than president, but they want to be a leader for good, for God. I think 2% want to be leader for the devil. They want to be the drug lords. They want to be the murderers, the, uh, the people who influence society towards Satan. For their I own personal gain, probably, right? Yeah. For their own personal gain, yeah. yes. And about 96% of the people are in the middle wondering, where do we go from here? Hmm. I used to think everyone wanted to be a leader if they could be, if you could just teach them right, if you could, you could help them know how to do it. I've come to conclude that's not right at all. Most people, if you gave them the presidency of anything, would say, oh, please, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. You know, you, just ask yourself, would you want to be president of the United States right now? <laughs> uh, most people say, no way. I would say, no, no, give it, no, 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 no. And I say, well, that's an honorable position. That's a very influential position. That's a, an amazing position. You say, yeah, but not for me. And I say, that's true of a lot of senior pastors today. 
a lot of people are really wondering, do I, you know, should I, uh, you know, even be a pastor? Should I be a senior pastor? Should I, you know, so, uh, Wayne, a lot of people uh, are doing a great job of leading, but at the same time, a lot are really wondering, do I want to be a leader at all in the society we're in? When you begin to work with executives or or ministry heads and gain their confidence, what what are the things that they confess to you are most frightening to them? What 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 are they working on, or they perceive to be a, a weakness that they really need to overcome? A lot of the things that leaders struggle with actually come out of the fourth grade. I have a DVD on our website uh, called Fourth Grade, and the reality is I've concluded without, I mean, 50 PhDs couldn't dissuade me of the, of the insight that the fourth grade, actually technically age nine, most people are fourth, in the fourth grade when they're nine. Age nine is a single most shaping year of an adult's or of a human being's existence, age nine. Hmm. And a lot of leaders have uh, think, well, I've, I've grown way beyond what I was as a child. I, I don't have to worry about those. Uh, temptations, those fears, those uh, relational uh, inabilities, etc. I don't have to worry about those anymore. I'm 35. I'm 45. I'm 55. I say, no, no, you haven't gotten beyond the fourth grade yet. And a lot of leaders are trying to go against everything they're comfortable with, everything that they grew up with, everything that they their, their uh, instincts tell them. And the struggle between who I was and who I think I am and all that kind of stuff is shockingly strong. Hmm. Uh, a person who uh, never led anything in the fourth grade trying to be a senior pastor is extraordinarily difficult. It is extremely, extraordinarily difficult. And I think probably the main thing that I teach a lot of people that is freedom for them is the connection between what they experienced in the fourth grade and what they're doing today. A lot of them think, I, should I feel guilty because I don't want to be a senior pastor? I say, well, when were you the leader on the playground in the fourth grade, after school in the fourth grade, at church in the fourth grade, uh, in clubs in the fourth grade? Well, never. Well, uh, what was your leadership role? I was always the first chosen. I, I had an older brother that was always in charge, and I, I enjoyed following him. I say, okay, then... Chances are you'll never, ever, ever feel comfortable as a senior pastor. Why don't you feel? Why don't you find a senior pastor that reminds you of your brother and be the best executive pastor that's ever been on this earth? <laughs> a lot of people don't realize the connectivity between the fourth grade and adulthood. I, I think if I have helped people, I, I guess I'd say that's probably one of the most helpful things I bring to people is just understanding who am I. And where do I fit? And and should I take on this next step or shouldn't I? Uh, how do I sort out? Another thing is just uh, massive confusion as to uh, which executive do I choose? Which, which executive pastor do I choose? Which vice president do I choose? And again, they don't have insight into the fourth grade stuff. So they, they make mistakes. They, they, they judge a person by the face, by, by what they see. And uh, they don't know how to get into a person's heart. Hmm. And until you can get into a person's heart, behind their mask, 
you're going to be disappointed every single time. That's fascinating because it also raises the issue that, you know, we always want think we always have to be striving for the top job. I think I was in my 50s before I realized I don't have to be striving for the top job to be happy. I can be happy at this level of leadership that God has given me right now. Well, what I find is that your your 30s are a time when you're striving to reach the top of the hill. Your uh, early 40s are a time when you're trying to distinguish what is your unique strength. And your late 40s is when you're trying to decide what I don't want to do anymore. Mm -hmm. That's when you come to what I don't want to do anymore, who I'm not, what I don't want to do anymore. Your early 50s are a time when you hit your stride. You think, man, I know what I know. I know who I know. I know that I know. Everybody knows that I know. I'm ready to go. But early 40s are when you feel old. (laughs) You feel like 50, 51, 52, you think, yeah, I'm feeling old. You know, I'm I'm sort of over the hill. I'm halfway to 100, that kind of thing. Yeah, we joke about every it, but it's true. Person, yeah, right. Every single person I've dealt with in their early 50s knows exactly what I mean when I say, do you ever feel old? Yes, I do. I say, you know, the key insight here is that your 60s are the most productive decade of your life. Your 60s are your single most productive decade. And when you can really understand that's when you make the most money. That's when you have the most influence. That's when you have the most access is in your 60s. Every single client that I've had uh, in, in you know, Josh McDowell, Bill Bright, Adrian Rogers, Jim Kennedy, all the guys I've worked with, their 60s were by far and away their most productive decade. If they have health, the 70s is the second most, and then the 50s is the third most. Once you can see that your 60s are your most productive decade, your early 50s become a time when you're saying, you know what, what are the steps I have yet to take? What are the systems I need in place? What are the staff I need in place? What's the budget I need in place? What do I need in place yet? So when I'm 60 years old, I've got the base set to have the most significant difference for God I've had in my lifetime yet. And when 50-something, the people in the early 50s see that, it's like they're given a second chance. They're given a second life. It's like, uh, uh, you've given me a whole new life. In mm. uh, 60s are your most strategic decade of all. That's when you don't have the energy you used to have, but you, it, but you have more opportunity. So you've got to choose, what's the most strategic thing I can do right this minute, right now, uh, to have the most effective uh, impact of all? That's great advice from our guest today, Bob Beal of Master Planning Group International. Bob is an executive mentor and the author of many books, including Leading with Confidence. More information about our guest when you visit our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. And when you take the time to come to the website, you'll also be able to listen again to today's program to maybe catch some things you may have missed or want to pass on to others. The complete list of interviews, past and present, is there online for your benefit, along with the schedule of what's coming up over the next few weeks. Also, I hope you'll like our Facebook page and even leave a comment whenever you find a program helpful. We're found on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. That's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, next week, we have a unique opportunity to sit down and talk with a family who survived a horrible automobile accident. Their testimony of God's grace and mercy and hope in the midst of unbelievable trials will strengthen your own faith. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back next week for First Person. First Person.